Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's the co-host of the Along the Way podcast and the COO and co-founder of Showtime Media. It's Mitch Showman. How are you doing today, Mitch? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to learn more about what you do and your Rise of the Challenge. With all my guests, we go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Yeah, so originally, I am from Cleveland, Ohio. Well, actually, I'm from a little town called Mansfield, Ohio. So I was born where my parents grew up, and um, we moved up to Cleveland when I was six or seven years old. So most of my childhood was spent in Cleveland, and I'm actually back here now. We moved back here like three weeks ago, so (laughs) back in Cleveland. But um, yeah, man, growing up, really, it was a lot of sports. I have two younger brothers, so lots of sports, lots of competition, lots of trash talking. Uh, We we were baseball players. I was a baseball and football player. We skied, uh, hunting and fishing we were into, so really everything. And it was just a lot of time with my family. My brothers and my dad, we do all that stuff together. So growing up, um, baseball in my teens became my thing. Um, That's where I spent all the rest of my time. I played in college. So that's what I was doing, but my brothers went in a whole lot of different directions. So I would still, you know, go out there and go hunting, fishing with them, spend the time with them and do all those types of things. But that was growing up for me, um, really. When you were growing up and trying those different activities, were you that type of person where you wanted to try everything instead of just picking one and sticking with it for a long period of time? I wasn't. I was baseball all the way. So when I found out that I had a talent for baseball, I really bought in. And my mom read me a book when I was a kid. It was Derek Jeter's autobiography. And I cannot remember the title of this book, but she read it to me when I was eight or nine years old. And he talks so much about working hard and all the practice that he would do and all the extra hours that he would put in. And that book sunk into me at a really young age. And I started practicing like crazy in baseball. I would work really, really hard, especially for my age. People thought I was nuts, but I loved it. I just loved playing baseball all the time. And so that's what I really did. I I bought into baseball harder than I had bought into anything else until we started our business. So. Was Derek Jeter that inspiration that you had, or were there other people that motivated you? Yeah. So Baseball-wise, when I was watching the major leagues, and I, I noticed that Cardinals jacket that you had there. Um, so, so uh, you know, when I was growing up, my mom was a Yankees fan. My dad was an Indians fan. The Indians were terrible when I was growing up, and the Yankees were a dynasty, so I chose the Yankees. And they were my motivation, the guys I idolized, the guys I'd watch their swings and try to emulate and all that stuff. So definitely Derek Jeter was probably my guy, if I'm being honest. As much as I'm a huge St. Louis sports guy being from St. Louis, I will say the Yankees, I was a fan, but the only reason was because of Derek Jeter. You got to love him. I mean, (laughs) because his personality on and off the field was just something that everyone could be inspired to be because he always had that positive attitude. He wasn't very cocky. He didn't have like an ego. He was just a normal person living in this world and being a huge inspiration to the city of New York, which she played for. So Derek Jeter was definitely one of my favorites. Then when he left, it's like, eh, I, <laughs> yeah, I know anymore. Yep. I'll stick with the Cardinals and all that. <laughs> yep. No, I get it. Yeah. But Jeter, yeah, it, it was that attitude that was why I really liked him, what you're mentioning. And it, it was that humble, hardworking, always improving attitude. I, I love that. I've tried to carry that attitude into different things in my life. So growing up playing baseball, what's something that you learned about yourself that you didn't know? 
that I have a very, very strong tolerance for failure. Baseball is all about failure. I mean, as you know, as if you're a fan, if you're listening out there and you watch baseball, you know, if you're really good, if you get a hit three out of 10 times. So seven out of 10 times you fail. And if you're struggling, you fail more than that. So really when I was growing up at first, it's hard, I think for any little kid, cause you don't want to fail. But then after a while, I just developed this almost calloused for failing when I, even now, when things go wrong, when something doesn't go my way, I don't even bat an eye at it. It's just, all right, on to the next, you know, next at bat, right? (laughs) For the lack of a better example. But um, yeah, that's probably my biggest thing I took away from baseball growing up. With your brothers and having that competitive side, was it kind of learning about failure, not being the best at something, or you're wanting those people that I'm going to try harder, I'm going to get better so that I can prove something to myself? I think it's a mix of both. So growing up, there's this competitive edge where I want to win, not at all costs. I I don't like the phrase win at all costs because I think that lends to people doing bad things, but almost at all costs, (laughs) at all all, uh, moral costs, right? Um, I always wanted to win, but then there was this exception of the fact that if I wasn't the best at it, it's okay to fail. It's okay to fall short, but then you're also expected to, when that day is done, improve on the things that you need to improve upon so that you can win the next time out. And that's kind of the attitude I've tried to take. And that's the attitude my brothers have taken, um, you know, into, into school and into business and all of those types of things. What was that dream job that you were wanting? Oh, man. Um, growing up, is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Like, we always have that, oh, I want to be this when we grow up, but then we always know that we go in that direction or we go into a completely different direction. Yeah. I, I would say to you that it was probably being a baseball coach, a college baseball coach. That was always kind of the path that I thought that I would go. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually was going to go into the military and I had a shoulder surgery that disqualified me from being able to. Um, so I didn't go that route. I've always been into that kind of um, high action like a lot of movement, quick days, those kind of those types of things where things are changing all the time, which is probably why I chose entrepreneurship. Um, there's no day is ever the same. So if you're asking 15-year-old me, dream job, probably a baseball coach. So when you were going through that surgery and you weren't able to go into the military, did that hurt your mindset in a way or you were kind of like, okay, now I need to find what's next for me? That's probably the biggest struggle that I've ever had. So during my senior year of high school, um, I was getting a lot of looks from colleges and I started to have a lot of trouble with my arm. And on senior night, I actually blew my arm out completely. I went to throw a ball to second base and my arm just went dead. The ball went 40 feet and dropped. And it it was the end of throwing for me for right then. I could not lift my arm. I couldn't do anything. And so I went to the doctor and I had a bunch of different MRIs going on. Some doctors told me nothing was wrong and I couldn't even lift my arm. So I knew something was wrong. Finally went to the Indians clean team doctor and they found I had a 360 degree tear in my labrum. So your labrum goes from the front of your shoulder under your armpit to the back of your shoulder. I had ripped that completely off. Um, And so I had to have a surgery. And after that surgery, Uh, I was going to play at a small D3 school in Pennsylvania at that point because I had so many problems with my arms, uh, with my arm that that was literally all I could do. I thought I was going to be a division one player, all this stuff, all these big goals. And my arm was so screwed up my senior year. I could 
basically just get on the field at this small school. And so I was headed there and the doctor said, you're not going to play competitively anymore. After this surgery, you're not going to be able to throw. And so that really got me down. I mean, probably six months. I was lost, didn't know what I was going to do. I was really bummed because what I had done for the last 17 years of my life was kind of stripped away from me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was, honestly, I'd love to sit here and tell you that I just bucked up and found the next move, right? But it took me some time to do that. Um, yeah, it took me probably six months of struggling. Uh, I was depressed. I wasn't studying like I should. I just wasn't focused. Um, I think a lot of people get into those situations when things happen like that, especially being 18, you're already trying to figure out college. You're trying to figure out what to do next, trying to make new friends and adjust to a new place. It it was definitely tough. Was there anything that helped you get um, through it all? Like, was there someone in your life or something like a passion that kind of helped you find that new life in a way? I'll be honest with you. I didn't really, I don't really remember a certain thing giving me that catalyst, right? I just remember waking up and saying, you know what? Enough of this. I I had some buddies, uh, enough of being down, enough of choosing to be sad, enough of having this terrible, you know, it was this terrible mindset that I had. And I remember I had some buddies that played baseball at Ohio University in Ohio. And I said, my best friend in Pittsburgh had said he was transferring there. And I said, okay, well, you know what? I don't care if the doctor said I'm never going to play again. I'm going to play again. I'm going to play at OU, which was a division one school. Everyone thought I was crazy. Doctor said, you're not going to play it again. You're not going to play at a division one school. So man, I started going to physical therapy. I started going to the gym multiple times a day. I started putting on weight, learning how to hit the ball again, um, all this stuff. And I don't remember a certain thing, like I said, that got me off of, uh, out of that mindset that I was in, but I just remember waking up one day and having had enough, just going crazy. And I did end up making the team at OU and playing another year, which was um, probably my biggest accomplishment to this point because I was told I wasn't going to. Um, you know, I just put my head down and went to the grind and was able to do it. There's so many athletes like you, and they have that similar story where an injury happens and the doctors say, you're never going to be able to do it again. Yep. The true, what I say, gladiator in them, they always try to do any way to get them back on the field because yep. they want to kind of prove to themselves that they still can do it. Right. What were you pursuing in college or what was that direction that you were going in as you were playing baseball? As far as school or as far as? As school, unless baseball was like your main focus and that's what you were going for. School was a funny thing for me because I had no idea what I wanted to do ever. In high school, they would ask. I would have no clue. I thought for a point that I wanted to be a lawyer. I thought for a point that I wanted to be a doctor. So my freshman and sophomore year, I was pre-med, right? I was pre-med. I was a pretty good student. Um, But sophomore year, I actually met um, my now wife. And we were talking one night in the dorm or something like that. And I hated studying. I hated the classes that I was in. I didn't want to go to med school after undergrad. I remember she said, then why are you majoring or why are you a pre-med major? You know, why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you torturing yourself? It's not even what you want to do. And I said, I don't know what I want to do. And she said, that's okay. I don't know what I want to do either. And so the next week, I just went to the registrar's office and switched my major to psychology, and that's what I did in school. <laughs> I had no clue where I was going afterwards, right? I had no idea, but 
man, I just knew that it wasn't the right path for me to be going pre-med. It was something that I felt like it was a good way to make money. I felt like a lot of people from my hometown were doctors. And so I should probably just follow in that path. And looking back now, I'm really glad that I did. Was psychology just something where it could be like a blank canvas where now you're able to paint that picture on what direction you really wanted to go and find that new passion for you? Yeah, I think it was a really, it was something I've always been fascinated in. I took, I would read psych books, like psych related books, watch psych related shows from a really young age. I was fascinated by how the human mind works, how people interact with each other, all that stuff. So when I figured out that I wasn't going to do pre-med, I, I thought, well, it'd be valuable for me to at least learn how people think, learn how people interact, all of this kind of thing, because I can at least apply those skills in whatever it is that I do after college, right? And so that's why I majored in psychology. And I think I can look back and say, I just really am fascinated by how people interact with each other, how people talk to each other, how people think, how people react to different situations. And so it was actually a really good major for me, considering where I am now dealing with building a business. You mentioned that you didn't like studying or you didn't like that schooling. When you made that change, did you start getting that confidence and you were like, okay, I'm actually enjoying this. I want to go to class. And then you can thank your now wife for putting that mindset in you. Yeah, I, I did. I started to actually take things seriously and I started to read and study. I, I figured that I figured out that when I was in pre-med, I just hated what I was doing. So I wasn't putting any effort into it. And you can see that in real life too. When people get a job that they really hate, they put no effort into it. When people hate working out, they put no effort into working out. You know, all those types of things. People, you don't put effort into things that you don't want to be doing. And that's only natural. So you need to find out what it is. And I was lucky to be pushed in a direction that helped me find that. I can definitely relate to not putting effort. I was a sports management major and okay. sports and business was my favorite thing. But if it did not deal with that, I just... <laughs> Like accounting, no, I no, or like business law, no, not gonna <laughs> in those classes. Luckily, I did fine in those classes. It's just I'm passionate. We're passionate about the things that we want to be doing, not the things that we don't want to be doing. And you hit it right on the nail, saying anything that you're wanting to do, you're gonna put 150 percent in there. Yeah. So as you're getting to graduation or the end of your college run, did you kind of have plans ready to go after that? Yeah, so um, I'm actually, I guess I'm not doing it as much anymore, but in college, I actually was also into music. And so I was getting ready to move to Nashville to pursue songwriting. And so we were going to move to Nashville. I didn't know what job I was going to do. I just had to find a job, right? So uh, as we approached graduation, I was just applying for anything that I could. And I got a job in sales selling logistics services. Uh, and that's what I did. So uh, Kate and I moved to Nashville a week after we graduated. We had no money, no car. Uh, she didn't have a job. I had a job and we got started. We started building our life down there and that was it. I just got into sales uh, because it was something that was going to pay the rent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Were you able to do songwriting on the side also, or it was just like whenever you could, you could do it? For the first two years that we were down there, I took it really seriously. So I was going downtown to Music Row every single night after work, not every single night, but three or four nights a week, probably for the first two years, we were writing songs and pitching songs to major artists in the country music world. And it was something I took really seriously. And then when we started Showtime Media, it just kind of took a back seat. And I found when I started Showtime Media, it's the first thing I've ever found that I was more passionate about than baseball. And so songwriting just kind of sat on the back seat after that.
Is there any songs that you wrote or helped with that people would recognize today? Or is it kind of very like independent song um, singers or artists that have those right now? Yeah, I don't think anybody would recognize anything I've written. <laughs> I, I, I really don't. Maybe if you really dive into country music, Spotify, but I doubt it. <laughs> I, I can't say that. I, 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 only know, I don't listen to much country. I do listen to country, just not as deep as... Yeah, I I doubt you'd find it. <laughs> so how long were you at that logistic job before you were kind of like, I'm ready for the next chapter in a way? Yeah, so my job history was a little bit funny. So I actually worked there for nine months and then found a job on LinkedIn that was remote. And because I was writing songs and wanted more time to do that, I actually found my way into that. And that was sales. Um, that actually didn't pan out. It was at a startup. It just didn't work out for me. And so three months after that, I got a job in the mortgage industry. And that was just a way for me to pay the bills while that got started. And actually, right when I started the job at the mortgage company, we started Showtime Media and that kind of started to run. And so I've been kind of, or I spent about a year and a half doing a mortgage processing job along with Showtime Media. And then we were able to quit those jobs. So how did the concept of Showtime Media come about? <laughs> it's a funny story. So uh, my wife worked in the finance department at one of the biggest healthcare companies in the world. Um, and she hated it. She hated the corporate world. She hated crunching numbers and all that stuff. And she came home from work one day and she said, I hate my job. I think I could make more money managing people's social media. She was a marketing major in college. So she was in that. She would listen to podcasts, all that kind of thing. And she was in that world. I wasn't a part of that world at all. I just went to work, wrote songs, did that. That was it. I didn't know anything about marketing. I didn't know anything about who, like, who is Gary Vee? You know, who are all these people on these podcasts? I don't know, right? And so I said, all right, well, whatever. Uh, I was a Craigslist guy, right? And so I threw an ad up on Craigslist, social media manager in Nashville. And two weeks later, we had two new clients that were local. And from there, we just ran. From there, I started educating myself in the marketing world. I started educating myself on how to operate a business and how to get new clients, and all that kind of thing. And she... Be, she continued to, you know, better her craft of creating content and uh, driving numbers on social media and all that stuff. And that's kind of how it started. I always joke around. It, it, it literally started on Craigslist. That's how our business started. <laughs> so you were working two jobs at this point. How were you able to kind of manage your time so you could give a full amount of effort for both? It's tough, man. I think that to be honest with you, for entrepreneurs listening out there that are going to moonlight a business you're just going to work a lot. That's all that it was. There was no balance. It was just 80, 90 hour work weeks. That's, it wasn't balance at all. I mean, I had relationships with friends that didn't get the attention they probably should have, should have gotten. I, we didn't get to go to a lot of places in Nashville that we probably wanted to go to. We worked all the time and we built that business, but it was something that we were passionate about and it was something that we wanted to build. So looking back, there's no regrets on that at all, but for people out there who are going to try it to moonlight a business and work two jobs, be ready for that because there's no balance that's coming your way. People might tell you that there is, but there's, there's not. <laughs> What's the biggest thing from your previous jobs that you took from them that you use now with Showtime Media? Sales, for sure. I mean, there's actually two things. So number one, my sales ability, getting thrown into sales randomly, not having a plan to go into it. That helped me. Uh, do what I do now, which is run sales and operations for Showtime. But also when I got into the mortgage industry, it was kind of funny. I've always been 
the classic sales guy, not very detail oriented, right? When I got into mortgage, it's extremely regulated and extremely detail oriented. Everything has to be perfect. And so I had to really learn how to tighten up that side of me, right? I had to become very detail oriented, very operationally minded. And that's helped me a ton at Showtime because now I can do those types of things for Showtime rather than just spraying and praying all the time and then trying to clean up the mess later. That's what was going on because I was just trying to bring in as many clients as possible. There was no operational organization at all and it would create a lot of messes. But once I was able to get into that job, it helped me slow down and see kind of how that needed to work and it's helped me a ton. You talked about the operational side. Was there someone that, or like a business model that you kind of looked at to kind of say, okay, let's try it this way? Or were you trying to hire people that could help you um, for you and your wife? We actually didn't bring on our first teammate until about a year ago. Okay. So it was just us trying to figure it out. And to to tell you that there's a certain business that we tried to copy a model off of would be a lie, but we did just try to go straight up agency model at the beginning, you know, you just try to figure out that model and how to do it. And a few things have changed. It's still pretty agency modeled now, but um, at the beginning there was no model. It was just get a client and try to get a project on and all this stuff. There was no model at all, but now um, it's pretty close to the standard agency model. Talk about the process of getting a client. What does it look like for that person and how do you guys work with that client to produce content and stuff? Yeah, so we do a few different things. We do, we focus on web design, content creation, and brand development. So let's just use a web design client as an example. There may be um, an ad campaign out there driving traffic into a funnel that brings us that client. There may be a message that me or another sales rep sends out on LinkedIn that gets books a phone call and we get that client. So one of those ways, either outbound or inbound, we land the client, we bring them in. Um, and then there's an onboarding session where Kate and her creative team, they'll go through what people like about different websites, what people don't like, you know, go through a brand consultation, learn everything about the messaging and all of that stuff. And then um, we'll put together the wireframes, have them approve them. We'll put together uh, the design, have them approve the design. Once the design's approved, we'll code the website and write the copy, right? So that's kind of the process of how it goes. We're extremely consultative on every single service line that we offer. So we hold the client's hand a lot because we found that if we just kind of take the reins on a project and then deliver it, there's miscommunications. We miss things that they may like or dislike. And then there's bad relationships. So we're always touching with our client at least once a week because we want to make sure that we're all on the same page and that we're doing the job effectively so that when they leave Showtime Media, they're smiling instead of pissed off. <laughs> Would you say be, um, working with them every week, basically, it helps them learn at the same time so that they can understand what you guys are doing at setup. You make the product, you hand it to them, and then now it's like, okay, now they have to figure out everything. Absolutely. We've actually had a couple clients that were really proud of this, where we kind of have guided them along the way with their strategy. And then once they're comfortable with it, we'll just send them on their way to do it themselves. So they may pay us a retainer fee for six months. And during that, each week, we'll kind of teach them and show them what we're doing, how to create the content we're creating, all this stuff. And maybe just have calls where we talk about this works, this doesn't, try this type of copy, yada, yada, yada. And then we send them on their way. We've done that with a few clients and that we're really proud of that because um, 
that's what it's all about for us is building relationships with the clients that we have. I said it was standard agency model, but the difference between what we do in a standard agency model, no offense to anybody that's running an agency, but we're far more focused on building a relationship with the client rather than just producing a piece of content or running an ad campaign, you know, so. So earlier we talked about um, learning how to go through failure. Do you have that moment during now or at the Showtime Media where if you have that failure moment that you're able to overcome that challenge? Yeah, I mean, so in, during our first year, I guess I, during our second year is when it really was. We kind of imploded our business on accident because we were so stubborn about bringing on help and we were so stubborn about doing everything ourselves that we brought on too much work for ourselves to be able to handle Mm -hmm. and so what that resulted in was us not being able to meet deadlines us turning in work that wasn't good us not communicating with our clients often enough and effectively enough and it really hurt our business we lost a lot of clients we lost a lot of revenue and it was a failure for sure a lot of people would have looked at the business at that point and said I guess we're done, but luckily we were moonlighting it. So we still had an income. Another thing I just wasn't, I'm too passionate about Showtime Media to let it fall like that. And the one thing I always tell people is once you learn how to build up a client base, you know how to build up a client base so you can do it again. The secret is keeping those clients happy and producing great work. Because if you can do that, you know how to build up the client base and then that client base is just going to spider web when people start talking about you, right? They're going to tell their friends and you're going to make a name in your industry and you're going to get better at building a client base too. And so that part really kind of takes, takes care of itself. And I overlooked that as a, I'm still young, but as a younger entrepreneur, I overlooked that. I thought we have to build up this base. We have to build up this base, but really we needed to get better at serving the client and the rest kind of takes care of itself. So when you moved, at the beginning, you moved to Nashville with no money, nothing, with yeah. like just finding a job. After years later, do you kind of have that comfort financially where you made that full-on jump to do this full-time now? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we started to get financially comfortable probably about a year and a half after being in Nashville. Dude, we were so broke when we moved to Nashville. I remember I had a buddy who had moved there a week before, and so we went to a bar the first week we were down there and I said, I'll get the first round. And I was from, I went to Ohio university for anybody that's not familiar with Ohio university. It's a pretty big party school and it's a poor town. Drinks are really, really cheap. (laughs) They're really cheap. And so when I got to Nashville, I said, yeah, I'll get three shots for us three that were there. And they passed the bill across the table and it was 60 bucks. And I remember my heart skipped up into my throat, man. Man, I don't have $60 right now, not to buy drinks. We got to pay the bills next month, right? And so about a year and a half in, we were finally financially comfortable and everything like that. And we had bought a house and we bought cars and we were were doing well for our age. And um, we still are and we're growing and we have goals, but... Man, at the beginning, it was definitely rough. It took some lean months to make it all happen, for sure. That might have been some top shelf liquor that you guys <laughs> Dude, it, was, it, it wasn't. That's what's crazy. It wasn't even top shelf. Oh, man. So way overpriced margins, probably. 100%.
Yes. Now, now you can say, yeah, hand me that $60. <laughs> I, yeah. um, can I just have the cheap item on the menu? Now? Right, exactly. That's I, what I should have looked at the price. <laughs> like where I went to school, it was like in a, not a high class town, you would say, but they had the high dollar items and then you have the low. And with college students, we all go for that low price because we're trying oh. to save our money anyway. <laughs> So with working with your wife, what is the biggest thing you guys have learned about each other working together? We, we've learned each other's strengths and weaknesses. I'd say that's probably the biggest thing that we've learned because so Kate runs a creative team. She's really good at creating content and making things look pretty and coming up with great marketing strategies and all this stuff. And I am good at finding new clients and operating the business and running the accounting and all the stuff that operationally makes the business work. And so we stay in those lanes. And what we've learned is if we stay in our lanes where we're strong and stay out of the ones where we're weak, the business runs really efficiently and our relationship runs really efficiently. And that's more important because the moment I cross over into creative territory, there's trouble, right? The moment she crosses over into sales territory, there's, I wouldn't say trouble because she actually has helped land a couple clients. So it's more, <laughs> I guess it's more when I'm talking it out loud, it's more when I venture over into creative territory, the trouble <laughs> begins because that's not my strong suit. We've learned each other's strengths and weaknesses and we play to those within the business. I think that's like, you kind of hit it perfectly. It's you guys have your areas where you guys specialize in and you know, you can trust each other where yep. you take on the sales side and she takes on the creativity side but you know that if you did have to cross over, it's not like you're telling the other person, this is how you have to do it. It's just maybe here's a suggestion or an idea and you guys are able to talk to, talk to each other about it. Because there's a lot of times where couples get together or uh, marriages work with each other, but they are all fighting with each other or they're mixing. And that's where it makes you, it's kind of like you're putting your relationship to in the back burner and right. you're putting the business first and that's kind of hard, but hearing how you guys work well together, that's awesome to hear that you guys have your um, areas, but you guys can go to each other if we have suggestions or. Yeah. You said something really important for not only people that are in a relationship outside of work, but really any business partner relationship is that you need to be able to trust the other person in that partnership because Kate knows that next month there'll be new revenue. I'm working all the time to ensure that new clients are coming in the door. Mm -hmm. I know that those projects are going to be done next month. They're just going to be done. I never even have to look if she needs help, I can help, but I know they're getting done. You have to have that kind of trust because if you don't, if you're constantly on the other person monitoring them, it makes them feel small. It makes them feel inferior. It makes them feel like they can't get their job done. And it causes a lot of poison within that business relationship. You have to be in a partnership where you trust that other partner. Otherwise, it won't work. Even with, even if you're not, like, even like teams, like a manager managing their team, they have to kind of put trust in their employees. And I've definitely gone through that experience where sometimes a manager hasn't trusted me, but you hear the com comments and all the good praises that we get. And it's kind of like, you have, you know that I can do the work. You, yep. you, you just have to trust me. And I'm one of those people that I'm very like free spirited. Like I, I get very creative with stuff. Mm -hmm. I kind of think outside the box and I think they're kind of like, well, you need to hone in on what you're doing, but it works. My skills oh. work. They brought me in to do something. 
They know that they're going to get the job done. Yep. So what does the future look like for Showtime Media? What are you guys hoping to see in the next few years? Yeah, right now we're just looking to kind of expand our team. So we're really pivoting into only a creative agency currently. We have been full service digital marketing for a while. Um, we're almost done pivoting out of that. We're just better in the creative space. Kate enjoys it more. Operationally building a business doesn't really matter what we're selling. I mean, so for me, I enjoy talking about the creative stuff with Kate more than I do data and ad campaigns and all that kind of stuff. It's not the most fun thing in the world. And so we're pivoting towards being only a creative agency, doing web design, branding, content creation, and just growing our team. We brought on two new team members recently. We're taking on some cool companies as clients and getting into some spaces that we're really excited about. Um, yeah. And I think we're, we're making a local push on Cleveland as well. So one of our things coming up here, we didn't really do much local work in Nashville and it's something that we regret. So now that we're in Cleveland, we're going after a lot of local Cleveland companies to try to be more involved in the community. And like I said earlier, our biggest thing is build a relationship with the client. So if we can do that locally, if we can impact the community in a positive way, that's going to make our business more meaningful every year. So over the next few years, I would say growth of our team, obviously growth of our revenue, and then making a local impact will be huge for us. Is there anything you would have done differently um, if you were given the opportunity to change something with your company? Yeah, I would have went full-time right when we had the revenue to go full-time instead of being afraid because that was part of what happened with imploding our business the first time, right? I shouldn't say the first time, but I guess we've imploded it one time. Uh, that, that's what happened is we didn't have time because we're working full-time jobs and we we're being stubborn about bringing on help. And those two things just crippled us. And so right when we had enough revenue to jump rather than taking my cushy salary, because part of the problem too, is we we're making really good money at our jobs. Right. And that can be pretty hurtful to anybody out there in that situation where you're trying to build a business, but your job pays you really well. It's tough to leave. And so looking back, if I could tell my, 23 year old self again, I would say, just jump. You're 23. What's the worst thing that could happen? You could get this job again. It's not that big a deal, but I was too afraid. So I would have done that differently. I think there's a lot of people can relate to that is where they have that salary job and they just don't want to, they kind of had that kind of mixed thoughts going in their mind where they're yeah. like, I don't want to go full time, but this is my future right here. So there's a lot of people that can relate. It. Talk about getting with Along the Way podcast. How did that opportunity come about? Yeah, so Kate and I both really love podcasts. We listen to them all the time, and we think that you know podcasts like yours, podcasts like ours, it's an extremely valuable way to, number one, meet people, build new relationships, network, and then also help people with things that you don't normally talk about right? You don't normally talk about failure. You don't normally talk about when you lost all your money. You don't normally talk about when you implode your business. Like all these things that we kind of hide behind the curtain, podcasts do a really good job of bringing out into the open. And I think that's the most valuable thing that we can do as people is bring these issues out into the open that we're afraid to talk about. It helps us grow. It helps us do better in the world. It helps us make new friends. It helps us do all these things that are positive, but for some reason we're so afraid to do it. Podcasts are a great medium for us to be able to do that. And that was kind of the purpose of the Along the Way podcast. We said, you know, there's all these podcasts where 
you have this expert that's made it to the top of the mountain talking down to everyone. And don't get me wrong, that's important. You got to listen to those people because they've been where you are. But at the same time, it can also be really difficult to listen to that when you're going through a difficult time. When it, it can be tough to listen to somebody talk about getting your business to seven figures when you're doing $35,000 in revenue, right? It's really discouraging sometimes. So you need somebody that's in the thick of it. That's the purpose of the Along the Way podcast. Where, and I, I think it's the purpose of your podcast as well, which is why I wanted to come on. I mean, you're talking to people about their whole journey and asking the tough questions and asking them to open up. That's why we do the podcast that's why it's so valuable in our eyes and so uh you know i appreciate your podcast as well i think that these are really important i think that more people need to have them which is funny because everyone's kind of saying everyone has a podcast now well i think that maybe if more people had podcasts more people would talk about things they need to be talking about i really believe that i the one thing i love about doing this show is where people come on the show and they're open and they be honest because i always view it as we all have a story We may not be celebrities or big names in the world, but we all have gone through something. And sometimes that people can relate to those things and they kind of like to hear, how did this person go through that journey? Someone that's listening to this could learn something from you and how you you as an entrepreneur went through certain situations. And we're not here to tell people how to do it. Right. Giving them another perspective and another way that we went through it and we see success in a way. We're not, like you said, the top um, person (laughs) telling down on people because that's just the wrong way of um, producing content and all that because that's not how I am. I want to motivate, as we say, real life stories, real motivations to inspire all generations. So I'm excited to go and listen to your guys' podcast because I'm one of those people, I love learning. Every interview I do, I learn. Cool. Yeah, I love it. So what does the future look like for you personally and professionally in the next few years? Yeah, uh, professionally, I mean, I just want to continue to grow Showtime. I want to, you know, get, get us into, uh, you know, the higher seven figures. Uh, That's, that's a goal of mine, you know, as as a revenue, I want to bring on a team where we're working in an office. That was actually part of the plan pre COVID. So maybe after this all wraps up that that can become a thing again, uh, that's kind of on the back burner for the time being, obviously. Um, you know, so I think getting a fairly sizable team into an office and being able to build an actual company culture is a big professional goal of mine. I'm really excited to be able to do that personally. I'm just trying to get better every day and all the things I'm passionate about. So I'm really passionate about my health and my fitness and my education i'm constantly educating myself and reading so you know i'm trying to do better with that and i'm trying to eat more healthy i'm trying to work out more i'm trying to get into better shape i'm picking up hobbies that are new to me because um you know one of the things i said i love podcasts one of the things that i really like that joe rogan talks about is learning how to do something that you're not good at and so i do that man right now i'm learning how to play golf i suck at golf (laughs) it it, it's bad but I'm learning how to play it and I'm learning how to do this thing that I'm not good at and it, it keeps you engaged and it actually it's such a win when you start to improve at something that you're not good at right and so trying to do that I would really like to get into speaking that's a part of the podcast that's kind of a selfish internal goal of mine is um, I'm just practicing being able to talk right and so I would really like to have that be a part of my professional career in the years coming and so that's hopefully what it looks like for me. I love that you mentioned golf because I've been practicing golf. Um, it's here and there when I'm able to get out, but I'm, I'm very good at it. If you have a house on the fairway, 
you better put like <laughs> you're gonna hit those yeah. it's just slice and hit that one down yep and yep usually when i'm with my friends and family and we play they're like um you want to aim like <laughs> Turn the other way so it's like, yeah <laughs> I've been going to Top Golf. We have it in St. Louis, and that's just—it's been so much fun to just go to that and try new things in a way. And I love that you said this. Basically, the pandemic was a time where people didn't know what they do, but it was right. a great time where it was a self-reflection. Where what do you want to accomplish? What do you want to try? And it's the perfect timing if you're able to go and do it. Yep. So, and we always have those selfish goals in a way, but when you said your that your goal and was selfish it's not really because speaking helps people on your podcast becoming a better entrepreneur so it's going to help you personally as an individual so we're excited to see what that looks like awesome cool as an entrepreneur what tips or advice would you give someone that's getting into that industry to rise to their challenge so the first thing and the most important thing is to get okay with failure. Start doing something to practice that, right? Play a game. Like I said, baseball is what groomed me for failing. Play, do something you're not good at, like we were just talking about. Do something where you know inevitably you're going to struggle because that's what entrepreneurship is. It's a lot of failure. It's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of experimentation. You have to be ready for that because if you think that – if you're the straight A student that's just going to come in and be an entrepreneur and build this seven figure business in one year, that happens very, very rarely. Mm -hmm. And you have to be ready to fail and you have to be okay with it because it's going to happen. And so that'd be the number one thing would be to find something to practice failure, you know, get that mindset right. Number two would be figure out your health. And I know that sounds kind of funny to relate to entrepreneurship, but it's really important because you're going to be working a lot. There's going to be a lot demanded of you when you're building a business. And if you're sick, you can't do it. So get in the gym, eat right, take your vitamins, do the things, drink water, do the things that are going to keep you healthy and allow for you to put in the time and the effort that it's going to require for you to build the business. So I think if you can have a good, healthy mindset, be ready for the challenges that are coming if you can stay healthy and continually educate yourself, that would be the third thing that I would say. Learn about your industry, learn about other industries, start tying them together, learn how business works, learn how the economy works, start educating yourself because the more that you can speak the language, the more deals you're going to be able to close, the more problems you're going to be able to solve, the more great relationships you're going to be able to build with customers in different industries, learn, 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 and you're going to succeed if you just keep moving forward the final question i would like to ask you from someone that's listening to this interview right now from your personal journey what tips or advice would you give someone to overcome their challenges to accomplish their goals and rise to their challenge well, for whatever you want to accomplish whatever that goal is whether it's personal professional it doesn't matter find a way to accomplish it don't let a doctor tell you you're never going to throw the ball to second base again. Because I did. I, I, I figured out how. I found a way. I couldn't do it for a long time. I only got one more year out of it. But I did it, right? And that's the thing. I had a coach tell me when I was a kid. I want to tell this story because I think it's – I tell it to a lot of people. He played minor league baseball. And he never saw the field when he got into the minor leagues. But I remember he was telling me one time, he was telling our team, he said, everyone told me I couldn't become a professional baseball player. 
everyone told me it was crazy to pursue playing professional baseball. I should just wrap up college, get a job and do that. And he said, I got drafted almost dead last. I was one of the last picks in the draft. And, you know, I didn't ever see the field, but I got paid to play this game. And I'll never forget when he said, I got paid to play this game. And I just always think about all those people that told him there was no way he could do it, but he did make money playing baseball. And so if that's you, whatever your goal is, it doesn't have to be a sport. It doesn't have to be a business, whatever. Find a way to get it done because there is a way to get it done. It's just, it matters what the price you're willing to pay to get there is. You know, are you willing to put in the late nights? Are you willing to spend the money? Are you willing to invest in yourself, in your business, in whatever it is? Are you willing to have difficult conversations to better a relationship that you're in? It doesn't matter what your goal is. Do it. Find a way and it will work. That's a great tip because like we talked about earlier, if you're passionate about it, you're going to do anything to make it happen. It's funny. um, One of the things, one of the pieces of advice that I got that relates to that, I don't want to let this slide by is we're talking about jobs coming out of college. Uh, Some buddies of mine, and now we're four years out of college, three, three years out of college, four years out of college, not too far, but we're thinking back and you know, you think about, should you take a higher paying job that you don't like, or should you take a lower paying job that you do like? And I just, have seen it in myself where if I'm doing something I don't like, I'm not going to work hard. Right. Mm -hmm. So I might as well take that lower paying job and work really hard because I love it. I'll make more money in the end because I'm busting my butt at it. Right. I'm going to climb that mountain a lot more quickly than I'm going to climb the mountain that I can't stand climbing. No, that's speaking on the topic. I actually coming out of college, I took the first job that was offered to me. And it was one of those where you go to like a Walmart or a Sam's Club and you're one of those people that's selling a product and you have to become an expert at it. And I remember one of my coworkers now actually came to me when I was doing that. We didn't even know each other at that time. And I had to sell face facial cream. And I'm looking at myself like, okay, one, I don't use any products. (laughs) You're having me become an expert. And then you have me wearing this lab coat and trying to tell people they should buy this stuff. People will start asking me questions. And I was like, how long can I do this? And I was talking to my boss, I'm like, okay, I need to try something different. Cause one, I'm not enjoying this. So you're having me go get paid for eight hours standing there. And I don't have to put in the effort. Right. And I knew I had to make that decision where, and I was getting a call from another job saying, hey, we really need you. Can you come back? And I'm like, yeah, I would rather go get paid less, but mm-hmm. do something that I can be good at and and let them know, hey, I'm searching for that next job if you guys are okay with it. And they're like, yes, we just, we loved you. I worked through it during college. So it was kind of hard. Like you kind of make those decisions. And, but I love that. It's kind of like, you want to do that job where you're going to put the effort and it's rewarding. And yeah. I always look at it. I want to earn the money for doing something, not just earn the money by just sitting. Right. Well, wealth is more than money, right, too. So speaking on the job you don't like, how wealthy are you if you make a lot of money and you hate your life? Yeah, you know? Like yeah. I mean, wealth is more than money. It's, it's how fulfilled you are. It's how, it, can you smile when you walk in the door at the end of the day? You know what I mean? That, that's part of it. So that's something that people need to keep in mind when you're looking for what it is that you want to do. Make sure that's just not only about money, because if it is, you're going to be in for a really sad road, I think. Yeah, 
I mean, a lot of people, they come out of college, they're like, yeah, I want to make six figures right away. I don't care how I'm doing it. I just want to, but are you going to enjoy making that six figures? Right. Like, are you going to enjoy how you are earning that? So yep. definitely. Well, Mitch, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. I truly enjoyed talking to you and learning all about Showtime Media and your rise to the challenge. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate your show. Um, excited to listen to it. <laughs> Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.